Welcome to the Free to Be More podcast by the Enoch Pratt Free Library. I'm your host, Megan McCorkle. This podcast series features conversations with leaders and innovators having a positive impact in our city. Let's get started. Your journey starts here. For the first time in its history, a major Baltimore institution is under new leadership. The American Visionary Art Museum has a new director, only the second in the museum's nearly 30-year history. This episode of the Free to Be More podcast, we go one-on-one with Janine Whitfield to talk about the new direction for the People's Museum. Janine Whitfield, thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. I'm happy to be here. Great. And so I guess I just want to start with what brought you to the American Missionary Art Museum? (laughs) Well, that's quite a story, and I've told it several times, but it's a true story, and it's probably the third most significant thing that's happened in my life. And the reason I say that is because I did not actually apply to come to Baltimore or for the job as director at the American Visionary Art Museum. Instead, someone actually put my hat in the in the ring and they told me after the fact. So they didn't even didn't even ask my permission. But in essence, it has to do with the fact that the work that I was doing in Detroit, which is where I was born and raised, was somewhat similar, a lot more raw, but very similar to the type of work that's being done at AVAM with the self-taught intuitive artist. But I'm born and raised in the city of Detroit and Through my work, my previous work with the Heidelberg Project, I've traveled all over the country. I've been to six continents, and there was never any other place like Detroit. But when I was coaxed into coming to Baltimore to visit the city and the Visionary Art Museum, I was literally blown away. And that's not, you know, it's not a joke when I say that. I find Baltimore to be a very beautiful city that truly is full of charm. And when I walked into the American Visionary Art Museum for the first time, I was blown away and I had the museum all to myself. So I was in that museum for three hours Mm. and it was just the most thrilling and exciting experience. Now, I come from a background where, you know, I'm, I'm business and finance and that kind of thing. And I had been in museums before, Mm -hmm. but I had always had a feeling like it was don't touch. Mm -hmm. Whereas at AVAM, and I've nicknamed it the People's Museum, Mm -hmm. but at AVAM, it just, it's like you are in this immersive experience. So in essence, and to answer your question, I know it was a long way around. But the the fact of the matter is, is I was captivated and it was suggested and that person knew something that I didn't because later that evening, well, actually at night, I was staying at the Royal Sinesta and I saw a big bright star and I knew that I was going to be moving to Baltimore. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? I always feel like sometimes the universe puts you in the right place at the right time, even if you didn't expect it. (laughs) That's right. And that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. Now, for anyone who hasn't been to AVAM, because you know this is a podcast, people can listen to it wherever. Can you sort of describe the museum and the mission of the museum for anyone who hasn't had the opportunity to visit? Sure. Well, the American Visionary Arts Museum, first of all, it's located on 800 Key Highway, and you cannot miss it. 
It is one of the most aesthetically beautiful places. And it's the kind of thing that makes you say, wow, what in the world is that? Because through its um, beautiful mosaic and circular design, and it also has several outdoor art installations as well, either affixed to the building or through a very small, beautiful garden where we have what's called the wedding chapel. So for the most part, the visual aesthetics is what draws you in. Our focus and our mission is really about promoting self-taught, intuitive, and what some people consider folk art. I tend to shy away from the folk art because folk art is really a genre all its own. It's usually handed down from tradition. But the Visionary Art Museum focuses on visionaries who create and they're not formally trained. So not only do we have an extensive collection of work, but we also have currently up a museum called Abundance, Too Much, Too Little, Just Right, which demonstrates how artists create from repurpose and reuse and oftentimes discarded materials. Uh I know you are now running this organization that you're only the second director to ever have run it, Rebecca Hoffberger, before you. Is it daunting to step into shoes of someone who founded a museum like that? Well, you know, I know that can be a challenge for a lot of people, but I'm married to a Rebecca, if you can understand what I'm saying. The (laughs) gentleman that I wound up marrying and the work that I did in Detroit, he was also a founder of his work, the Heidelberg Project, which became really quite famous around the world. Mm -hmm. But the thing about it is, is that to me, it's a respect factor. Mm -hmm. Genius. And that's what I consider what both of them did. It really is its own animal. And I think that if you look at it from the perspective of that was her contribution, Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to be Rebecca. What I want to do is I want to take what she has done And I want to grow it. I want to polarize it. I want to expand it. So in essence, what she's doing is she's handing me a baton. Mm -hmm. And then her work will never really be done because it will always be her baby. And I'm okay with that Mm -hmm. because um, I know who I am and I know what I've done in the broad scheme of my own work. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of beyond that idea of feeling like, oh, my gosh, how am I ever going to live up? It's not Mm -hmm. like that for me at all. Mm -hmm. And I want to give you the opportunity to talk a little bit about your background. You talked a little bit about how you um, were in banking at one point. So how do you go from banking kind of to the arts? Seems like quite the shift. Girl, let me tell you. (laughs) (laughs) You know, this is why I said that coming to AVAM was the third most pivotal thing that happened in my life. The second one was when I literally in 1993 turned down Heidelberg Street in Detroit. It's true. I was climbing the corporate ladder in banking and finance. I was doing everything that a young African-American woman should be doing. You know, everybody was proud of me. And I went to college at Wayne State University, blah, blah, blah. But in essence, I was always quite bored, to be perfectly honest. I mean, you know, and then I took that turn down Heidelberg Street and my mouth just dropped open. Now, let me describe what I saw. And what people would see when they take a drive down the street. First of all, Heidelberg is located in the heart of an urban community in the city of Detroit. It is in one of the most broken and most impoverished areas of Detroit. 
And when I took that wrong turn, I tried to turn down a different street and a car was literally on my tail and I was forced to turn down Heidelberg Street. All of a sudden, I met with this giant explosion of color, vacant lots that were filled with all kinds of what looked like really rubbish, but very carefully orchestrated and full of color. And then houses that were literally decorated with various found materials. And I just thought, oh my gosh. And I literally rolled down my window. Unbeknownst to me, it was the man who created it. And I asked him a question. I said, what in the H-E double hockey sticks is all of this? And he invited me to get out (laughs) and check it out. One thing led to another. And what I realized is that here was a man who was passionate, who had a voice, who was creating, but he had no foundation. Uh And one year later, I gave up corporate America, 14 years, profit sharing, benefits, (laughs) all of that. Wow. And uh, took a ride on the wild side. <laughs> the Free to Be More podcast is a production of the Enoch Pratt Free Library. Now introducing the Children's Library of Things. Come check out toys, games, and other educational materials for children newborn to eight years old. The Children's Library of Things is a partnership with Port Discovery Children's Museum. More details at prattlibrary.org. What kind of impact has the Heidelberg Project made in Detroit since you were there for 27 years, which is about the same time that Rebecca was at AVAM, so kind of parallels, but what kind of impact were you able to make with that project over the nearly three decades? It's so much. I mean, if you Googled Heidelberg, you're going to find so much information, but let me just say in the short Tyree Guyton started the project in 1986, and we're still in the height of the automobile boom, so to speak, or not the height, but, you know, the automobile is dominating, but the city of Detroit is going through serious issues. But at that time, no one was really thinking about art and creativity. So fast forward 30 years later, the Detroit News coins Tyree as the godfather of the arts renaissance in Detroit right now. So the city of Detroit Literally, when the automobile began to tank in 2008, 2007, and the fallout of Wall Street, what was really kind of holding up the shoulders of the city of Detroit was the art and creativity. Because what Tyree had started began to catch like wildfire. And you just had people that began, the creative movement began to explode. And it really had to do with the fact that he had this art project open and out on the street for people to see. And it created this amazing dialogue and just really opened up the creativity of so many other people. So the fact that it was outdoors, the fact that it had gone through many metamorphoses, the fact that it was torn down and it kept coming back because the artist was so resilient, all of those things led to an arts renaissance that is really nationally known today. There are 195 or 96 countries in the world, and we had signatures in our guest book from over 144 countries. Uh, So that's quite an impact. (laughs) Definitely it is. And I I feel like people don't necessarily see sometimes arts as being super accessible. They look at it in some of these like ivory tower museums and 
the Heidelberg project being outdoors, being something you could just walk right into, has to open that accessibility so much to the arts. So how can you kind of replicate some of that accessibility at AVAM? Well, I think AVAM's already done such a great job of that. See, that's why I think the woman suggested me when she learned that AVAM was looking for a new director. Mm -hmm. And so part of the genius behind what Rebecca did was the visual aesthetics. It's Mm -hmm. a draw. It's the kind of thing that makes it, you know, like I turned down Heidelberg Street and I'm like, oh my gosh, well, if you turn down Key Highway, you're going to go and you're going to go, what is this? Mm-hmm. It's visually stimulating. Mm-hmm. Now, not to, I think I'll go back to Detroit and talk about my own museum, mm-hmm. but if I were to just walk down the street of the Detroit Institute of Arts, I see this old white stately building and this place that says to me and to my culture from where I came from, you don't belong here. This is not for you. And that, you know, that's just the way things, the ball turn. That is not what you feel when you would turn down Heidelberg Street. And that is not what you feel when you turn down Key Highway. Mm -hmm. You go, this place is so cool, wild, and funky. I'm going in. (laughs) And then when you go in, you find it to be just as immersive as the experience you had visually. So there's something to be said for visually stimulating people in a way that breaks tradition. And that is what Rebecca did. And that is what Tyree Guyton did. Mm -hmm. Going back to Detroit a little bit, you know, I've heard people, we've been talking over this season of the podcast a lot about how the arts can be sort of an economic engine in communities, especially during hard times. How was the Heidelberg Project and the spreading of arts across Detroit? How did that help when the economy was going down and people were losing their jobs to be able to experience that? That's an excellent question. And it was one that I was fascinated with. Mm -hmm. And having a background in banking and finance and looking at all that traffic that was flocking to see the Heidelberg Project Naturally, my mind went to economic impact study. And true enough, I mean, we were the kings and queens of getting things donated because, you know, our work was so different. It was very difficult to fund. But the museum or the um, universities literally held our work up because they saw something phenomenal in what we were doing. So an economic impact study was actually done on the Heidelberg Project. And what you'll see today, for example, is a community that is starting to rebuild itself from the inside out. So in other words, people are attracted to that energy. They're attracted to color. They're attracted to the art. So you've got other artists that have built studios in the area. But in the economic impact study, it demonstrated how people traveling to visit Heidelberg obviously were spending money in other places. They were going to the Detroit Institute of Arts, or going to the Charles Wright Museum of African-American History. They were going to nice restaurants and different things like that. But it was also effective in that people who visited Heidelberg, for example, a gentleman who had lived in Berlin, had visited Heidelberg, and he was inspired to open a restaurant. (laughs) So you can see how it's a spiral. And I always talk about the polka dot being that point that begins to spiral outward. And I think that a lot of times, you know, when we listen to, forgive me, but we listen to talking heads, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, they have ideas about what builds an economy, but I'm going to tell you, there is nothing that is to me that strengthens an economy more than the arts. Mm-hmm. How important is that arts advocacy to you, that piece? Because, you know, a museum like AVAM, I mean, you need that support from the community, you need financial support from the community to keep going, but how important is it for, um, you know, the whole community to kind of rally behind that so that the message and the programs of AVAM can spread beyond the walls? I hear you. And I think that um, one of my pillars or one of my goals being at the museum is to reach out more locally, to build bridges locally, to demonstrate to people. It's a, a little bit tough because, you know, for example, AVAM is for the second year voted top museum by the people in USA Today. That's exciting. This is the second year. Last year, we came in second. So this year, obviously, we're hoping to come in first. Well, if you think about that for a minute, it could create a little animosity with some of the other museums in the city. What I like to promote instead is how do we build the city of Baltimore with all its cultural offerings? In other words, and I had this philosophy in Detroit as well, and it stems from Venice, Italy. (laughs) Venice is a city that is sinking, but it does such a phenomenal job promoting itself. It continues to be one of the top tourist destinations, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm starting to feel that each city is going to have to rally around its own resources, its own treasures, and learn how to market ourselves collectively. And you're going to see that in the next exhibition that we do in 2023. I'm excited about it. Mm-hmm. I hope what that are, makes sense. Yes. What are the sort of parallels that you see now having lived a few months in Baltimore and having lived in Detroit a long time? What are the parallels you see in the two cities? Well, I mean, I think the one parallel that a lot of people talk about is both cities, you know, um, a rich culture has a high demographics of African-American people. But I think that Baltimore, believe it or not, in my opinion, I love Detroit. I always will. But I think Baltimore has a little bit more on the ball. It's smaller, first of all. So Mm -hmm. its impact can be greater. And I think also I like what I'm seeing in terms of the diversity. We've got a new governor. That's exciting. But I also believe that it's going to take all of us working together to build a more just and equitable and economically viable city. Uh You've got to mix that pot up. Equity is no joke. It's very Uh real because we've all played a part in the history of our our cities and and our country in general. So the parallels to me are really just seeing that diversity at work and being more open to the ideas that come from all different kinds of people. Imagination Celebration is back at the Enoch Pratt Free Library. Come enjoy a free family festival at the Central Library, March 25th, starting at 10 a.m. Then enjoy programs throughout the month of April at all of the Pratt's locations. You're free to be more at the Pratt. Speaking of diversity, we are seeing more heads of cultural organizations, specifically in Baltimore City, you know, African-American women and men being named to the heads of cultural organizations 
such as you at AVAM. How important do you feel like that is for our city and for the youth of our city to see people at the top that look like them? It's very important. And it's something that's been needed for a long time. And I Mm -hmm. think that the balance of that is important because you don't want to give people the impression that other cultures and other races are not needed. Mm-hmm. But historically, what has happened with African-American people and going back so far in the role that we played in the building of this country, it seems like it's time. Mm-hmm. And the mistake that I don't want us to make is to think that, you know, we're not the only people that have ever been, you know, not treated well. That There's a history of that in this country. So it seems to me that we need to look at this from the perspective of a polka dot. I love that mm-hmm. because the whole idea is, is that the dots are celebrating all races of people mm-hmm. and that what we really need to focus on are principles over personalities as well as over the shades of our skin. But we've got to judge people based on their abilities. So in other words, we can't have someone, I'm just going to put it, make it, keep it straight. We can't have someone in the office who's doing a effed up job just because they're a particular race. Uh-huh. That's not going to fly either. What we've got to do is be just and equitable across the board. Uh-huh. That's what I'm looking at. Uh-huh. You've been kind of immersed in the Baltimore arts community now for a short period of time. Are there things that surprised you about how rich the arts community here is in our city? It really didn't surprise me. I already knew it was there. Mm -hmm. I was just excited to find it and see it because the culture is so rich. There's a rich culture in the traditions of historically what, you know, African-American folks have contributed. And the fact of the matter is, is that art and again, what happened in Detroit, that spread around the country and the world. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I think about the visitors and how many people were from Baltimore that were in Detroit. Mm -hmm. so. It doesn't surprise me. I embrace it and I want others to embrace it too. The other thing that I'm excited about is the younger crowd, I would say under 45, Mm -hmm. that whole group of people across the board, doesn't make any difference what race they are, Mm -hmm. are of a new generation. They are a part of the generation that says we are making change. Mm-hmm. And I like to think that I trained a lot of those young people through our work that we did in Detroit. And Detroit is just geography. The vision for this kind of work is happening in Baltimore as well. Mm-hmm. You talk about that younger generation. What, under your leadership, do you feel like AVAM should build on as far as outreach within the community where AVAM can be sort of beyond its buildings and making an impact with young people across the city? Yeah. Yeah, that's, I've already started. I have started. I think that people like Frankie, who's on the call listening in the PR department, social media and outreach with more younger people is critical. Mm -hmm. In fact, when I turned past the baton in Detroit, I passed the baton to someone I had been training for 15 years. She came to me as a young student out Mm -hmm. of college. So I'm already reaching out to some of the young students at Micah. And uh, looking at, I always do that. Now, that's just important to me to always provide mentorship. Uh-huh. And I got that work ethic from um, the Motown Museum, Esther Edwards. She uh-huh. always told me, she said, always bring someone along. 
as you move forward. And that's what I've been doing. So, mm-hmm. yeah. One of the things you did do in Detroit was found the United Artists of Detroit. Tell me a little bit about what that organization is and why it was so important to you. Yeah, that's that was, uh, we had no art council in the city of Detroit. You know, when funding gets cut, what's the first to go? It's generally the arts. Big mistake. Mm-hmm. So there was really no kind of, you know, we did get eventually a director of entrepreneurship and culture. Mm-hmm. but no real focus on the contributions that artists were making to the city of Detroit. Mm-hmm. Consequently, a lot of times artists' work was exploited, especially in public art when corporations would come and they're trying to sell the city and they would pick up some art piece or something or public art and they give the artist nothing. So mm-hmm. in essence, this was about strengthening the artist and their ability to protect, to copyright, to have rights, and to have a place that they could come to learn about different commissions, you know, questions that they might have had regarding their artwork and how to protect it. And it was really just about the kind of arts administration and the kind of support that artists were not getting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting because there really is so much sort of business education that is needed to be an artist. There's so much background. Do you see here in Baltimore a need for that too? Or do you feel like there is a strong base of that already? Well, I haven't gotten immersed enough deep to know what the big needs are. My uh, review right now is surface, but I'm interested and I'm paying attention. And I have reached out to a number of different people. Um, the mayor's new appointee, Tanya, oh, I'm going to draw a blank on her name right now, Tanya Miller. That's a smart move to me to mm-hmm. try and find a way for the city to more directly marry the arts with what's happening in the city mm-hmm. and to look at the ways in which we can help strengthen the arts community on a whole mm-hmm. to help it to become more sustainable on its own. These are things that I think will come down the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You've alluded to it a little bit already, some of the upcoming exhibits, but what can people expect to see at AVAM over the coming year? Well, I'm going to leave that one hush-hush for now. <laughs> I'm going to encourage people to come to AVAM to see what we've got going on right now, mm-hmm. because what is really important to me, and I really mean this, we've got a national reputation Mm-hmm. an international reputation, but I'd like to do more to build a stronger local connection with people. Just think about it like a chain link fence. That's the way I look at it and how we're putting our arms around ourselves and celebrating what's great about the city. I want to do more work in that regard for now and ask people to focus on the love, the wonderful exhibit, the abundance exhibit that we have, as well as our ongoing installations, because they'll be up until It'll be up until September. Mm-hmm. So you have to wait to see what we've got coming. But I will say that my heart is in it and I'm excited to, to be here in Baltimore. My favorite event in all of Baltimore City is the Kinetic Sculpture Race. Um, yeah. I love it. So tell us a little bit. I mean, we're expecting that yeah. marquee Baltimore event to continue and Fifi to make her trek around the Inner Harbor once again. This yeah. Spring. See, Megan, now see, that's 
that's exactly what I mean when I talk about what we have in our own backyard. Who else does that? And of course, <laughs> yeah, right. And it's coming in May. And part of what I want to do is when I have my meeting with Tanya is to talk about how we can make it bigger. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, they trekked in the rain last, last oh, year. Yeah, I was, I I was there. there. <laughs> so <Yeah>. was I. <laughs> and it was awful in terms of the cold and the weather. <laughs> but look how the people came out and supported mm-hmm. it. So I think that that deserves to be bigger. And that's an excellent example of how we can build that chain link fence and support what we do great and have other people come from around the country and to see that unusual, really wild, what connect, well, I call it a parade or, <laughs> you know, um, in Baltimore. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And it's I, happening. And it's I, happening, hopefully a little bigger this year. I know. And hopefully maybe less rain this year. Fingers yeah. crossed. But no, no I, rain. Uh, I'll tell you, when I first moved to Baltimore, my very first year, I lived in a place right on Boston Street. And so the um, parade right comes right down Boston Street. And my parents happened to be visiting that Saturday and they drove in. And I remember my dad being on like his car phone with me and saying to me like, Megan, there's a giant pink poodle like (laughs) pedaling by me on the street. Like what's going on? And so that was one of the first experiences I really had in Baltimore was walking down to the Canton Waterfront Park and watching all of the sculptures try and get around the, you know, go in the water and get around the dock. And since that, I've been in Baltimore about a decade and we, for the most part, don't ever miss that event. It's my favorite Baltimore event. It's amazing, you know, and I'm so glad that you said that. I mean, because when you see Fifi with those glasses on, you're just like, (laughs) again, that's another kind of what the, Mm -hmm. and those are the kinds of things that I think we need to stimulate us out of the, you know, the phone and and the computers and and just remember that we still want to be social and we want to connect with each other and see something phenomenal happen. Mm -hmm. I need to know if it floats. I always need to know if it can float. So (laughs) (laughs) that's my favorite part. I always tell everybody that's where we have to be. But um, my last question for you, but speaking sort of further down the road, what is your like grander bigger vision for the future of AVAM in the city of Baltimore? Well, you know, I think that AVAM is got a lot of great potential to be a leading museum in the arena of self-taught and intuitive art. Mm-hmm. Raising that awareness is so important. And I think what's most important, and, and this was this came from Tyree as well as Rebecca, is that there is an artist in each and every one of us. And when that creative energy gets going, what is possible? Mm -hmm. That's the question. So many times, you know, I I believe it was Picasso who said, when we lose that childlike quality, we've lost a lot. And we have, Mm -hmm. because we're so busy trying to be like, or trying to fit in. And just think about a child. They don't do that. And I know we can't walk around being children. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying we need better balance in our lives to bring out that true creativity in us. Because look what's happening in our world. And that's what this art is about. So raising that and opening that wider, that lens wider to help humanity to see the artist that's in each and every one of us. 
Well, Janine Whitfield, I'm very excited to see what's possible. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I appreciate it. Get connected at the Pratt Library. Check out a Chromebook or a hotspot just like you check out a book. Or stop by any Pratt location to use computers or access the Wi-Fi. The Pratt Library is your source for free internet. Details at prattlibrary.org. I'm Megan McCorkle, and you've been listening to the Free to Be More podcast by the Enoch Pratt Free Library. You can follow the Pratt on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next month for another Free to Be More conversation. Thanks for listening.